Greetings, everyone, both those of you worshiping in the sanctuary today and online and at other various locations. We're looking at Numbers chapters 13 and 14. Please take a moment, join with me in prayer as we consider this scripture together. Let's pray. Father, we'd like to thank you for the privilege of gathering in your name to listen for your voice. We trust, pray, and ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher now, that uh, the words declared here would result in transformed lives as we yoke ourselves more completely to the life that is Christ, the only life capable of imparting the hope our world desperately needs. So may your love and power flow through us as a response to what we hear today, and we'll thank you for that as we pray in the name of Christ, who is our hope. Amen. In Seattle, there's a group called the Mountaineers, and one of the things that I love about this particular organization is that in order to become certified uh, in the mountaineering community, you can't just make attempts at going to a summit, you actually need to summit. In other words, if you try to climb Glacier Peak and you fail, it doesn't count as, an, as, a, as a climb of Glacier Peak, it only counts as an attempt. And until you've actually summited several times, you don't gain the certification and qualification needed. And what they are saying there is significant and has spiritual application. They're saying this, intention is not the criteria in the end. When the day is done, the most important thing is what we actually display in our real living. And so with respect to Christianity, there's a very similar uh, criteria where Jesus says, look, by your fruits, you'll be known. In other words, the criteria ultimately of your faith is this, to what extent is joy and hope, peace and mercy, justice and wisdom, power and unconditional love pouring through us into the watching world no matter what we attempt what matters is what ultimately the world sees. And this is vital because the whole point of the Christian life is actually incarnation. And incarnation is expressed ultimately not in what we say, but in what we do. And I might add, especially in what we do as a scattered community outside of this building. It's vital we see ourselves as a community called to embody Christ's life. As seen in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount, we're called to this humility and joy and hope. Irresistible influence, shining as light, blessing our neighbors, loving our enemies, caring for the earth, calling for peace. This is our calling, and talking about it is easy, but actually summiting, actually getting there is no small task. And so one of the most vital principles in Scripture about intention is seen in the vignettes that we'll look at uh, this morning, three different vignettes, uh, groups of people who uh, understand God and have received revelation from God, but who are either looking back, looking around, or looking forward. And all of us, this very day, fall into one of those categories with respect to our own faith life. We're looking back, we're looking around, we're looking forward. We'd like to look at those three vignettes. Uh, please join with me now as we look at the first of all, the first vignette, those who are looking back. All of us are one of these. God's intent is that we would be looking forward people, but we begin by learning from those who are looking back, Numbers chapter 13. And so I'll read for you beginning in verse 25. The context is Israel now, having been delivered out of slavery, has been wandering for two years in the wilderness, and now it's time to go into the promised land. God says to Israel, appoint some spies, go in. It's intended to be a reconnaissance mission. How will you conquer? Instead, it becomes a feasibility study for these spies. And they make a decision whether or not to even go in based on a risk analysis, so to speak. This is what we see 
in Numbers 13, beginning in verse 25. So here we go. When the spies returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran. And they brought back word to them and all the congregation showed them the fruit of the land. And they said regarding the fruit, this is the fruit. And the fruit was amazing, large, abundant, prolific, and the land does flow with milk and honey, and the fruit is huge. Nevertheless, verse 28, the people who live in the land are strong, the cities are fortified and large, and moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And then Caleb says we should go anyway in verse 30. But then the other spies, 10 of them, continue. And they say, we are not able to go against these people. They're too strong. No, we're not going. And then ultimately, they decide that it would be in their best interest to appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. Looking back. What we see here in this particular group of people, this subset, is a group of people governed by fear, Worst-case scenario and refusal of risk. This is a death blow to faith, man. Fear, worst-case scenario, refusal of risk. Let's look at fear here because fear is such an such a, uh, important part of the battle that we each face daily. And in this particular scripture, it, they, when they say we are not able to go up against these, it, it's because they're governed by fear. Can I just say that fear is all through the scriptures, all the way back to the garden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, when God is pursuing Adam for the purpose of reconciliation, Adam presumes the worst, and he says regarding God, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid, so I ran and I hid. Rather than pursuing God, rather than pursuing reconciliation, pursuing intimacy, Adam runs, and the reason he runs, fear. When Sarah denies that, she's, uh, uh, that she laughed, when an angel says to her she laughed, it says, she says, I did not laugh. And the reason that she lies is she was afraid. Running because we're afraid. Lying because we're afraid. Hiding because we're afraid. Happens all the time. Looking back, governed by fear. And the, the thing to see here is fear comes from a desire for, to preserve our lives. But the fundamental issue related to self-preservation is explained to us in the words of Jesus, John chapter 12, verse 24. This is what Jesus says. Look, if you want to save your life, and saving your life means that you will be governed by fear. You'll spend the rest of your days building walls to preserve yourself. If you want to save your life, this is Jesus' word, you'll lose it. Your life will shrink. Your walls will grow. You'll have no influence, no joy, no hope, no confidence. If you want to save your life, you'll lose it. When we follow Christ... We're invited not to save our lives, but to cast our lives entirely into the care of Christ, to relinquish control. And this means that we place ourselves in situations where if God doesn't come through for us, the story ends. And there are situations like this all through the Scripture. John chapter 6 uh, is where a group of people follow Jesus because Jesus has just fed 5,000 miraculously with a few loaves and a couple of fish. And, and now everybody wants to be with Jesus because they understand, oh, Jesus, he's the one who'll take care of us. He's the one who'll keep us safe. But then in John chapter 6, Jesus challenges that motivation for following him. And Jesus basically says, though I'm paraphrasing, this is what Jesus says. He says, up until now, you may have thought that I've come to bless your agenda and make you safe. But the real story 
He said, I'm not a, I, I didn't come to bless your agenda. I am inviting you to step into my agenda, to step into my story. And that will mean that you must, if you want to follow me and be my disciple, you must identify with my purposes and you must go with me. And that identification, I promise you, will take you places you never thought of going. I will challenge your comfort zones. I will break down your walls of security. I will call you to a fearless life. You will overcome your fear and live the adventure that is following Christ. But you must relinquish your own agenda and your fear of losing control. Jackie Pullinger left the UK on a freighter ship years ago, believing that God would just simply tell her when to get off the ship. And when the ship docked in Hong Kong, she disembarked. She didn't know a single person in the city. And when she wandered into what was then called the walled city, she found it filled with heroin addicts, prostitutes, violent gangs, so terrible that the police would not even go into the neighborhoods where she was walking. But God found this young English girl who was willing to go and show the love of Christ to those who were forgotten, living on the margins, living in, 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 in fear and addiction and hopelessness. And she learned Chinese. And she began to pray for these people. And she began to love these people. And she practiced hospitality with these people. And Jackie remained in Hong Kong for years. And because of her continued sacrifice, there's a flourishing Chinese church filled with ex-addicts and countless people living new lives, all because one woman said yes to going forward rather than looking back, overcoming her fear, giving her entire life to Christ. This is our calling, nothing less. The crux moment comes in John chapter 6, when Jesus says, look, unless you are fully identified with me, and that means giving up your life, exchanging it for my life, unless you're fully identified, you can't really be a disciple. And it says from that moment on, many walked back. Everyone said, okay, well then, if it has to be everything for Christ, I'm going back to my own life. I'm going back to my own life. And I will live in fear because I'm afraid of what God will ask me to do. Been there? I'm reading a book right now entitled Adventures in Saying Yes. It's a beautiful book about overcoming fear. And maybe, I'm quoting from the book now, maybe you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Just above our basic need for food and water, foundational all of life, just above that basic need is the need for safety. All of us in the room, we want to be safe. Feeling safe and secure is a good thing but when God calls us out of our comfort zone, the fundamental question is this. Do I believe that when I'm in God's will, I'm in the safest possible place? Or will I choose to create a safety of my own making in a smaller, quote-unquote, more secure world? That's what's at stake. When God asks obedience of us, calling us upward towards the summit, because remember, it's no good to have all the equipment and take half the journey. No, we're called to go all the way. And so this group, they're governed by fear as they look back. Another thing that's true of the looking back crowd, they have a worst case orientation. In Numbers chapter 13, verse 33, they said, we saw giants in the land and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. We were tiny, they were gigantic. And when they say we become like grasshoppers, uh, they've assessed the situation and they have decided ultimately there are too many things against them. They've decided that if we move into this space, it will... It'll be the end of us. And so, you know what? We're retreating. We're leaving. We're going back. And that's Numbers chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. The entire congregation lifted up their voice. They cried. The people wept all night. 
And at the end of it, they said, oh, I wish we died in Egypt. I wish we, or maybe died in the wilderness. But why is the Lord bringing us into this land? And now they're presuming the worst. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Why did God bring us all this way and now he's going to kill us? I mean, this is a crux moment for this group of people. And we know what they did on this day. They said, no, we won't go in. And further, we'll appoint a new leader and attempt to go back. But I want you to know, and this is very important we hear this, the decision that they made on this day was actually the fruit of many other decisions made along the way. They had been practicing a life of unbelief for two years. Their hearts had been becoming hard. And there's a danger of, 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 of looking back and of practicing non-faith even in little ways, because in Hebrews chapter 3, it says this, today if you hear God's voice, today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. If you harden your heart, you will not be able to go forward in the life that God has created for you. And none of us are harden our heart like in a moment, boom, that's it, I'm done, I'm going back. No one does that. The hardening of our heart actually happens slowly. Small little choices, choosing security over obedience. Uh, choosing our reputation over following Christ. Choosing greed over generosity. Little choices, and our hearts are hard. And then we find ourselves at a crux moment to move forward, and we say, no, I'm not going. We assume the worst. They've been practicing non-faith rather than faith development. Here's the question on the table. What are you and I practicing every day? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit and saying yes? Because to be blunt, the whole New Testament is a case of Jesus and Paul telling religious people, you got to quit looking back, man. you got to look forward. You have to. Quit protecting the temple. Quit protecting uh, the, 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 the cultural laws. Quit protecting your Greek culture. Quit protecting your religious reputation. Quit protecting your financial security. Quit protecting your hidden sin. Move forward. What if uh, we, sensing the calling of the Holy Spirit as a community, as Bethany Community Church, what if we sense a calling to be the presence of Christ in our city in new ways related to reconciliation of race, related to environmental justice, related to any particular thing? What if we sense this? We must go. When God has spoken, we must move forward, always. And if we don't, we find ourselves then becoming Looking back, people, it doesn't matter how well we sing, how, how, how balanced our budget is, how good our programs are. If we are looking back, that's the kiss of death with regard to faith and growth. And we will miss out on the adventure God has for us. Looking back, it's the worst. <laughs> Except for one that maybe actually could possibly even be worse. And that's the second group of people looking around. I want to show you the looking around people by uh, having you turn with me to Numbers chapter 32. Uh, when Israel says, no, we won't go, uh, we, we end up with a second group of people. And the second group of people, they come right up to the edge in a new generation. 40 years later, they come right up to the edge of the promised land. Now there's a new generation. The old generation died in the wilderness, the looking background. Now there's a new generation. They're ready to go into the promised land. And in Numbers 32, this is where we read. There are two tribes, uh, tribe of Reuben, tribe of Gad, and th th I love this. It says they had an exceedingly large number of livestock, 
So when they saw the land of Jazar and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock, the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came to Moses, and they said, uh, listen, this land is good for livestock, and we have livestock. So if we have found favor in your sight, let uh, this land be given to your servants as a possession. Don't, and this is critical, don't take us across the Jordan River. Now, I, if I had time, I'd show you this, but when God promises the land of the nation of Israel, all the land that God promises, all of it, is on the other side of the Jordan River. In other words, everyone is called to cross the Jordan River and go into the new land. And now two tribes, they come right up to the river, and then they say, do you know what? This land right here, this land, we love this land. So, look, let us just be here, and don't take us, listen, Moses, we want to stay here. We're done. Look, we've been faithful all this way. We've come far enough. We're finished. We're not crossing, we don't want to cross the Jordan River. In other words, they're not looking back. But neither are they looking forward. They're looking around, and this is what they're saying. I love my life right now. I don't ever want it to change. So geographically, the land where they want to sell, it's a good land. Nothing wrong with it except for one thing, not God's will. And this, when we look around and we want nothing to change, here's the problem. It means we've made peace with the present in such a way that we will, it's going to be very difficult for us to move into God's future for us. And so when you look through the scriptures, you find that those who are growing, those who are serving, those who are actively being a blessing to others, they've never really settled in. They've never really adopted a paradigm that says, you know, what, what, what I am right now, this is all I want ever. No individual, no family, no church that settles in continues on the adventure. Because as soon as I settle in, self-preservation becomes my goal. And so here's two tribes, Reuben and Gad, and they spend their days trying to preserve uh, this space on the wrong side of the river. It was good space economically. It was, a, it was a space free from the threat of conflict, but it was a wrong space. In other words, they were choosing personal peace and security above everything else. Do you know, years ago, decades ago now, Francis Schaeffer, this guy who opened his home to backpackers in Switzerland, he was a philosopher and an evangelist, he had written some books, and he, this is what he said, I'm quoting now, he says, personal peace and prosperity will be the values that render American faith powerless. And I don't know if you know it, but the church is rapidly declining and dying, both in Europe and in North America, and it's exploding in Africa and South America and Asia. Why? Because those are places where personal peace and prosperity are entirely secondary if they exist at all. The main goal among the disciples of Christ in those parts of the world, following Jesus, whatever the price, they're, they're, they're unwilling to sell for anything less than looking forward. We're looking around and we're like this, it's not so bad here. Sailing, the Olympics, air conditioning, clean water, education, comfort, nights out on the deck. We love it here. We love, well, man, we love it here. Let nothing ever change. Boy, watch out when that becomes your paradigm. The rich young ruler went away sad. Do you know why? Because he had a lot of stuff that he didn't want to, he, he was unwilling to relinquish his grip. There's a picture on the screen of a, 
of a kidney donor. The woman on the right is a kidney donor. Uh, she's the daughter, uh, excuse me, she's the co-worker of a woman whose daughter on the left there uh, needed a kidney. And then uh, my mother-in-law made those beautiful Afghans, one for each. And there they are together. Can I just say giving up a kidney is a risk? Can I incidentally say, this is a practical way of expressing love for our world. Life Center Northwest, lcnw.org, you can sign up, a donor registry. And then if someone needs what you have to offer, you can give too. But the larger point here is this is a beautiful illustration to me of someone who is not content to hold on to their life. No, I'm willing to go into surgery. I'm willing to give up a kidney. I'm willing to pay the price of giving up a kidney in order that another might live. That's just a little snapshot here of what it means actually to follow Jesus. I'm willing to give up in order that. That, that means I'm moving forward, not settling in, not preserving my stuff. Significant. This book that I'm reading on fear, listen, here's my definition of fear, says the author. Fear is anything that potentially threatens your sense of safety and security. Most of our fears are potential fears. What ifs? Yeah, buts, maybes. Not real fears. Things that might happen if I risk. They could be real, they could happen, but they're not real, not yet. These sort of fears are dream squashers. They're not fun. They rob your joy. And then he continues. It's those kind of fears that keep you from selling everything and moving to Lebanon with your young family, which is exactly what he did. Keeps you firmly in the grip of words like responsible and the often used word wise. But Mr. Wisely Responsible never had much fun. <laughs> he didn't go on hobbit-like adventures. He might save money. He might raise three very responsible and wise children who are well-behaved, have a great reputation, but he doesn't dream. He never lives outside the box. He doesn't even know if he's in a box. To him, life appears normal. But this is what I say. Leap. Dream. Say yes. Look forward. Set out on an adventure, a risky journey with uncertain outcome. That's the Christian life. Be done with being normal. Amen? Amen. When I say, you know what, this life that I have, this is good enough, then I'm not saying, may your kingdom come. I can say one or the other, but not both. And it's not good enough. Not good enough that all around us, there's poverty and racial injustice, and lust, and fear, and greed, and human trafficking, and oppression, and environmental degradation, and consumerism, and boredom, and fear, and bitterness, and anxiety, and not just around us, within us. No, we're not done. We need to be the last, cry, the, the, the last group of people, the looking forward group. Who are they? Well, uh, <laughs> there's a couple of guys... Uh, their, their, their names are Josh and Caleb. Two, of the 12 spies, two. And back in Numbers uh, 13, when the spy said, man, this is going to be hard. We don't think we should go. In verse 30 of Numbers 13, this is what you read. Caleb quieted the people before Moses. And this is what he, this, listen to Caleb. 
say to the entire nation, here's Caleb, we should by all means go and cross the Jordan and take possession of the land. We will surely overcome it. And then the, the ten spies said, no, no, you're a dreamer, man. And then they talked everyone out of it. But then again, uh, Joshua spoke in Numbers chapter 14 before the vote had been, you know, sanctioned and finalized. This is what Joshua says in verse 6. Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, who had spied out the land, he tore his clothing because this is a big deal, man, to not go in. We're missing God's will. And this is what he said. The land through which we pass to spy out is exceedingly good. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into the land and give it to us. It's a land which flows with milk and honey. It's a land of peace. It's a land of abundance. And not only that, it's where God wants us to be. We must go. Don't rebel against the Lord by saying we're going back. And by the way, don't rebel against the Lord by saying I'm done growing. I've come far enough. No, we must go forward. Don't fear. That's what he says, don't fear. And all the congregation said, stone them. And then the story takes a turn. Here's the deal. Looking forward, people, this is what they say. Chapter 13, verse 30. We don't know how God will do it, but we know he will. So we're going forward. That's the way it's worked so far for Israel. He gives them a promise, and he gives them a next step. But he doesn't tell them anything about his ta God's tactics are unknown. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Here's a leper, and he comes to a prophet to be healed. And the prophet says, hey, go wash in the river seven times. And the, and the leper's like this, really? Come on, I want a miracle. But he does it. He does it because God has spoken, and this is the next step. And he takes the next step, and he's healed. God says, move to the mountains. How will you live? I don't know, just go. God says, move to Lebanon. Why? I'm calling you. God says, quit your job. God says, stay at your job. God says, give lavishly. God says, sign up and serve. God says, commit. We don't know how God will do what God will do, but when God asks a step of us, we must go. And then in verse uh, 7 of 14, we see this. Joshua and Caleb, they pursue God's future because they understand what the future will be. In other words, they say, hey, look, I don't know the tactics of God, but I know the will of God. And I know that the will of God, that land over there, I know that the will of God is good. It flows with milk and honey. The fruit is enormous. It's a land of shalom. It's a land of peace. We must go. That's God's future. That's all that matters. I want God's future for my marriage, for my family, for my body, for my children, for my church, for my city, for my world. God's future. I'm going. And then you see in verse 9, they pursue God's future because they know that to do otherwise would be to miss God's plan and so miss life. 14.9, don't rebel against the Lord and be governed by fear. Don't. Hey, when the praying is done, and the studying is done, and the singing is done, and the talking is done, and the doctrinal arguments are over, there's really one question on the table. Am I moving forward or not? Am I moving forward, or am I hanging on to the present, 
Or am I so bitter even towards the present that I'm looking back? What is it for you? Here's the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 3, thinking of his own life. He's encountered Christ, and he wants to move forward. And so Paul says, look, uh, whatever things were in my past, they're done. I've counted them lost. I'm not looking back. I count everything to be lost. The past is over. Nothing compares to the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the, law, the loss of all things. And then this is what he says. My desire is to be found completely united with Christ. No hidden rooms. No hidden sin. I want to be completely united with Christ. And then he says, verse 12, and I love this about Paul. It's the end of his life in Philippians 3. He says, I haven't yet attained it. No, I'm not there yet. I haven't become perfect. But, don't you love this? Philippians 3.12, but I press on. I'm going in, man, all the way. I don't regard myself as yet having laid hold of it. I'm not in the land yet, but one thing I do, forgetting the past and, re and ignoring the future because I'm reaching to the, to the uh, excuse me, ignoring the present because I'm reaching to what lies ahead. He says, I press on. I press on. Philippians 3.14, you pressing on today? Or are you holding on to the present? Or are you looking back? Pressing on. Pre he says, I press on. Uh, for what? The goal. What, and what's the goal? To be found completely in Christ so that Christ is expressing hope and joy and mercy and love and hospitality and generosity and peace through me, through us. N nothing less. Great day. Two years ago, just about right now, great day, was uh, when my wife and I were traveling through Europe, uh, trekking from hut to hut. And we were, we were in a particular hut. Uh, and in the evening after dinner, the host came and explained, you know, for the next day, there's two trails. There's an upper trail and a lower trail. And uh, we'll give you the, the weather report just before bed so that you know whether to take the upper trail or the lower trail. Because the upper trail is called the Trail of Seven Summits. And you'll be on a ridge all day long, and there'll be seven crosses, one on each summit. Uh, or if the weather's bad, you'll take, we'll have to take the lower trail because the upper trail is risky. There's cables because uh, you need to hang on or fall and die. There are ladders that you have to crawl down. It's tough stuff. Well, at the end of the evening, uh, the hut master gathers us. He says, here's the deal. It's going to pour rain all night, but we're going to wake up to clear skies tomorrow, get, get an early start, thunder, thunderstorms potentially in the afternoon, so get an early start, and, and uh, everybody take the upper trail. So here are seven summits. Can I tell you, very difficult day. Later, we'd read a guidebook that says, this really isn't for people who don't have any mountaineering experience. And, and uh, I loved it, but not everyone did. And I'll never forget the words of a young German girl who, who hiked with my wife and I. She, uh, she and her companion, 17 years old, their first big adventure. We'd uh, gone up and down and up and down. We were on about our third summit. We've been hanging on to the edge of rocks. It's been exposed, a 2,000-foot drop. We've been walking with cables and putting our feet on rebar <laughs> because that's all there was. We'd fall and die. We were on ladders. About halfway through the day, Inga says, it's hard, 
I'm hot. I'm afraid. And yet we must do it. <laughs> and she was right. There's no going back. And yet we must do it. I challenge you today to be quiet enough to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Individually, as a couple, if you're married or with your significant one there in your relationship. Hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Know the next step Christ is asking you to move forward. And if it's hard, here's the right answer. And yet we must do it. And yet we must do it. Because to not do it is to either look around or look back. And when that happens, the adventure's over. The answer is yes. Let's move forward. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for this, one of my favorite texts in the Bible. And I pray that the word sown here would result in kind of lavish obedience. Willing to shoot the moon. Willing to risk everything. Because we know that the safest place we could possibly be is in your will. Therein is transformation. Therein is adventure. Therein is hope. Therein is joy. Thank you. Take us there. And by your grace, may we overcome the fears that would hold us back. And we will thank you for the, the stories you'll write and the adventures that await us as we follow you. In the name of Christ, we pray, who is our hope. Amen.